0: Thank you, Kara. Good morning again. My name is Derek. If I haven't met you, I would love to. We are finishing today our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and we're finishing up with self-control. One commentator that I read points out that Paul begins this list with love because it's the foundation for all the other words, and he ends it with self-control because it's the thing needed to actually enact all of those things. So we're going to talk a little bit about self-control this morning. Now, self-control is a, is a very broad topic, isn't it? We're going to try to narrow it down just a little bit and talk about what it means to control our tongues, our mouths. So if you will, turn with me to James chapter 3. We looked at James last week. We're going to look at the passage actually just before what we read last week. James chapter 3, I'll start reading in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, great, with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also though they are so large they're driven by and driven by strong winds they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And then turning over to Galatians 5, we'll finish up with this list of the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the lasting nature of your Word. We ask now that your Spirit would empower us, control us even, even as we come to look at your Word this morning, will you open our eyes and unstop our ears and soften our hearts that by the power of your Spirit we might come to know you through your Word today. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I read a story the other day about a, uh, a father who woke up after putting his son to bed to many knocks on the door from uh, the food delivery service Grubhub Turns out his son, before going to bed, had actually played around with his father's phone and had ordered more than $1,000 worth of food because he was hungry. Now, fortunately, the the dad's bank actually rejected the $437 pizza uh, that was ordered, but the other $1,000 worth of fast food was all delivered. They had a fairly stocked fridge for a while. Now, we're going to talk about the mouth this morning but we're gonna talk less about what we put in it, like $1,000 worth of junk food, and talk more about what comes out of our mouths. What comes out of our mouths and what it means to actually be controlled with our tongues. And the first thing really that we see in this passage in James, which by the way, I don't know if that passage made you as uneasy as it made me, James talks pretty pointedly about the power of the tongue. And one of the first and most important things that he says is that little things can have a really big impact. Isn't that true? Little things, even little words said, can have a huge impact on our lives and in the world. When I was in high school, uh, my best friend and I traveled to an away volleyball game. We had friends on the volleyball team, so we wanted to go see them play, and we went to watch them at a rival high school. And as we were walking into the gym to go sit down, this, in my mind, very large and very scary uh, student from the other school was passing at the same time and kind of just intentionally bumped me. And as he had passed and I was kind of walking by a little perturbed, I looked at my friend and I said something like, what a jerk that guy was. Well, as I was talking about what a jerk he was, his friend was actually passing by behind him and overheard me talking about this big jerk. Well, as the game wrapped up and ended, we walked out and we're walking to our car to go away, and guess who was waiting for me outside with a crowd and a circle of people. And as this guy uh, tore off his shirt, and in my mind, again, looked like a, a trained, you know, UFC fighter, um, and w- with one intent, and really that was to pummel me. And, y'all, I was in choir in high school. I was not in a street fighting gang, okay? So uh, my little high school heart was fluttering faster than probably it ever had before. And then my, my salvation actually came, and a coach came before, before I actually ended up on the pavement. A coach came and broke up the fight, and I thought, oh, this is great. It's perfect. We're all done. We're saved. So, my friend and I got um, started moving toward our car, walking to the car to go away, and we actually then overheard them. He said to his little group of friends, let's go get them. So, as we got in our car and drove away, they got in their car and chased us, and in the middle of the way back to our place, pulled up beside us and flashed a pistol. Now, fortunately, all they wanted to do was scare us. No guns were fired, but boy, did they scare us. And all of that because of these three little words that came out of my mouth. If I would have just kept my stupid mouth shut, everything would have been just fine. But our words, little things, sometimes said without thinking, sometimes feeling totally innocuous, sometimes just tiny little things, right, can have a huge impact on us. Maybe you've gotten yourself into similar trouble that I have with my words, Or maybe you've been the recipient of somebody's words that have stuck with you for a long, long time, right? Somebody that has said something like, uh, you're really not very valuable to this team or this group, or you're just a little bit overweight, or we really don't like the way you look, or you're really kind of worthless. Somebody has probably said in so many words something like that to you in your life at some point. And my guess is that it is stuck with you because sometimes it's those little words actually that can stick with us, even reshape and completely redirect our lives. And, you know, the words that we use, even though they are oftentimes said flippantly, it's like toothpaste. You can't really put it back in the tube, can you? It's like if I told you, hey, take a bag of feathers and go put a feather in every yard in this neighborhood… And then afterwards, at the end of a windy day, said, okay, now go pick up each feather. You can't do it, can you? Because they're already blown away. They're out there. And words have a similar effect. Not only do they have incredible power to do some real damage in our lives, but they can be really, really lasting. Think about the images that James uses in this passage, a bit in the mouth of a horse. It's small but it directs the whole horse, doesn't it? Or a rudder on a ship where a tiny rudder can direct a great ship to go wherever it wants. Or how about this one, maybe the most powerful one, the one he spends the most time on, a small fire that can turn into an entire forest fire and end up doing incredible damage. Friends, our words have power, don't they? And even little things can have great impact. The opposite, though, is also true. Not only can the small things that we say have a big impact, but also our silence can have a big impact. Our silence can actually be really meaningful and important. Self-control, I'm going to say this. It's a big statement, okay? Self-control, I think, is probably the thing that is most needed and least desired in our culture today. Now, do you remember your mom probably told you this, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. (laughs) If if, if, If our culture, if our world right now just took that one little thing to heart, we would live in a very different place, wouldn't we? But our culture actually is a place where we need self-control more than we ever have probably in the history of the world, yet it is actually least valued. Now, let me explain that for you. What I mean by the need for self-control is that we live in a time and a place where our communication has more freedom than it ever has. I can pick up the phone and call somebody in Russia today or in Japan. That was not possible 50 years ago. It's amazing the kind of freedom that we have on our personal communication. We can communicate with anybody all over the world completely freely. And mass communication is the same way. We have incredible freedom in the way that we communicate to the masses. Think about even in the time in which I grew up, even in the 80s and 90s, if you wanted to say something to a broad group of people, you had to write it down, and then you had to get an editor to edit it, and you had to make the changes, and then the editor would give it to a publisher, and they would actually look over it, and then they would publish it, and then somebody had to actually make the choice to purchase what you wrote if they wanted to hear what you had to say. You had to go through multiple, multiple steps of making sure what you wanted to say was the thing you wanted to say, and then it was the right thing to say before it got out into the public. And then if you wanted to respond to that thing, you'd do the same thing. You'd have to write it down, you'd have to edit it, you'd have to get it go through a process, you'd have multiple people involved, you'd have lots of steps and lots of time, enough time to make sure that what you were saying was actually coherent and made sense and was what you wanted to say. But today, all I have to do is type it out and push send, and the world will receive all of my thoughts. I can write a blog. I can post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and I can tell the world exactly what I think now, without filtering, without time, unless I want to put a filter on it, right? Without time, without process, I get to do it. And guess what? If you want to reply to it, you have the same kind of immediacy. Now, in a world in which there are no outside checks, no processes to go through, no steps that we have to take if we want to actually say things from an informed Christian perspective, guess what? We actually need a lot more self-control, don't we? Because there's no system out there that's doing the control for us. So, there's the need for self-control, but actually the value of self-control is lower probably than it ever has been. Think about the word discretion. Discretion really is just the ability to kind of contemplate the things that need to be said or not, and to choose whether or not to say them and which things to say. And the value of discretion 25, 30 years ago was probably higher than the value of transparency. Now, there's some issues with that. We can all agree we want to see transparency high, but what we've done in our culture now is completely reverse that We have a high view of transparency, of honesty, which again, in many ways is really good, but we've combined that with a very low view of discretion, of discernment. And so, today in our culture, what is emphasized and what is encouraged is if you feel it, you should probably speak it. The world needs to know your truth. Speak your truth so that everybody can know. And if you think it, go ahead and proclaim it to the world around you. Because we want to be transparent, we want to be honest, but for some reason with that we think, well, everybody needs to know all of the things that I'm thinking all of the time. So we have this combination now of a great need for self-control and a low, low desire for it in our culture. But friends, the Bible says that if we are actually going to act like those who are walking with the Spirit… keeping in step with the Spirit, then what we need to do is find some way then to deny our impulses, to deny even our feelings, and to focus and rest in what Jesus has done. I I was a swimmer in high school, and one of the the exercises that we would do oftentimes is we call them blowouts, and here's what a blowout is. You You get on one side of the pool, you know, the, the length of a pool, 25 yards is what we would swim. And you take a big breath, and then you go underwater, and you exhale all of that breath that you just took. And then you swim to the other side without breathing. And yeah, it's as hard as it sounds like it is. And about halfway through, what your lungs start doing is they start trying to breathe, and there's nothing there to breathe. And so they just go, (laughs) and about halfway through, you're thinking, I'm going to die. And the only way actually to get to the other side is that you have to know there's enough oxygen in my lungs to get me to the other side of the pool. I'm not going to die. And so you have to actually rely on that truth more than on the feeling that you're having, which is my whole body is about to collapse and explode and I'm going to drown right now because that's the way that I feel. And our tongue is the same way, isn't it? Is that we actually have to oftentimes deny the feeling that we have. If I don't reply to this person with that really pointed comeback, then my lungs are just going to kind of burst, right? If I don't actually reply to this Facebook post, then, then my lungs are going to burst. I'm just not going to be able to do it. Or if I don't actually tell that person what they need to do right now, then I'm just not going to really be able to live. If I'm silent, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to everybody else around me? What's going to happen to me? Is everything going to be okay? And I believe that we are actually being called here in the Bible to deny those feelings that our life is going to fall apart if we don't say this particular thing right now and to rely on the fact that Jesus actually takes care of us, that He actually will sustain us, that He actually is at work in us. Which really brings us to our final point, which is that self-control is really about Spirit control. A self-controlled life is actually a Spirit-controlled life. I'm going to read you again from Galatians chapter 5. This is the end of that list of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says that we actually live by the Spirit that we are called to walk with the Spirit, that what it means for us to produce good fruit in our lives is that we actually give over our control to the Holy Spirit's control, right? Think about the illustration again that James uses here, the rudder on a ship. It's really small, but it drives the whole ship. But what does he say here is that it is driven by the pilot. The rudder actually is something that's driven by the pilot. And so for us to actually exhibit self-control is really the process of giving over the piloting of our lives to the Holy Spirit, to lay aside our will and to actually take up His, to be able to say, Lord, I am laying down my desire to control my life, often with my tongue, and I'm giving that control to the Spirit, to see the Holy Spirit actually at work in my life. So how do you do that Is it simply a system of just telling yourself again, no, 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 don't do all these things? Those of you who grew up in the 80s like I did, you remember the Just Say No campaign. Uh, During the 80s, right, a huge outbreak of drug use and crime, and some brilliant advertiser came up with this idea, listen, we're going to launch this campaign to Just Say No. No. Whenever somebody approaches you, you know, with drugs, you should just say no. Whenever you experience peer pressure, you should just say no. Whenever you feel even maybe like responding, you know, in a hurtful way to someone, just say no. And it spread all throughout the the country, all throughout our schools. Huge, multi-million dollar campaign that lasted for years and years and years. Remember, Nancy Reagan was even the spokesperson. But there's only one problem with it. It doesn't work. In fact, even back in 2001, the Surgeon General actually declared that campaign, put it, put it in the does not work category. And you know why it doesn't work? is because training our mouths can only get us so far. We have to train our hearts. And the just say whatever it is campaign only gets to the mouth and never to the heart. But friends, the fruit of the Spirit and self-control is about the heart. It's about a heart that is changed and a life that pours out of that heart. And how do our hearts change? They actually change by saying yes more than saying no. Saying yes to the Spirit's work in our lives. Saying yes to actually giving up control so that the Spirit can actually work. And friends, we can only say yes if we are overwhelmed and overcome by the love that we have been shown. I want you to listen to this incredible passage from 1 John chapter 4. This is what John says, In this the love of God has made manifest, was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You hear what John is saying there? Is that saying yes is so much more powerful than saying no, because yes is actually produced by love, not by fear not just by constraint constraint or avoidance, but saying yes is actually something that's done in response to what God has done for us. Jesus has loved us with a love that the world has never seen otherwise, a love so strong that He would lay down His life, not simply for those who have done everything right, because none of us have, but for those who were running as fast as they could away from Him in the other direction. That Jesus has laid down his life for his enemies. That he has come to us and said, You deserve punishment. You deserve wrath. You deserve death for who you are and what you've done. But guess what? I will take it instead. Friends, has there ever been love like that? There hasn't. It's amazing. As we sang at the beginning of our worship service, it's love that won't ever let us go. It is everlasting and deep and incredible. And how do we respond to that kind of love? By saying yes to the Spirit, by laying aside control of our own lives so that actually the Holy Spirit might start to work in us, among us, through us. So, let me just leave you with this, again, back to the way that we speak. When it comes time to reply to your wife, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to the blog poster or to the tweet, just pause for a second and ask, What has Jesus said to me? What has Jesus done for me? How have I been loved? And then respond not to the person that you're responding to but to the love that you have been shown. Respond to that incredible love. Lay aside the control that you want to grasp in your own life and allow the Spirit to control you, empowered by the love of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, I need this passage. We need... um, your Spirit, actually, to, uh, to come into work in us because, Lord, I know I myself um, struggle with self-control. So, Lord, I ask that your Spirit would come and do an amazing work in us today, that we might deny the impulses that we have to respond, the damage that even can be caused by it, and, Lord, that you would work by the power of your Spirit to, to guide us like a, like a bit in a horse's mouth, to guide us like the rudder on a ship, to lead us and to guide us, Lord, so that we might actually um, serve you, so that we might see your fruit not only produced in us but shown to the world around us. And we do pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.